morning, church. What a great day. It's Easter Sunday. Praise be to God. Jesus is alive. He has conquered death and made a way for all of us. And we have come to worship. We've come to celebrate the risen King. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And we are going to have a great, great day. I'm so glad you're here this morning. You know, it was January 8, 2000, and I was serving in a church in downtown Nashville. And a buddy called and he said, hey, I've got two tickets to the uh, Titans playoff game. They were in the wild card against the Buffalo Bills. And so he said, hey, do you want them? And the game was in about an hour. And I said, sure, I'll take them. And so he brought the tickets to me. I called Lisa, my wife, and she's like, no, I can't go. I've got a baby shower, wedding shower, something girls do, you know, all that stuff. And so I'm like, all right. So called another buddy and he couldn't go. And so down the hall was our uh, single adult minister. And she's like yelling. She's like, I want to go. I've never been to an NFL game. I want to go, I want to go. And I'm like, all right, let's go. And so we walked down Broadway, headed to the Adelphia Coliseum at the time. I know it's LP Field now, but we went out there January 8th. We were in the end zone and we're having a great time and the game's going back and forth. And then it starts to rain, okay? January 8th, cold too, you know? So we're out there in jeans and sweatshirt, just hanging on. And then a friend of mine spots us. And a friend of mine had been invited by some people and he was in a box. And so he sees us down there. He's like, comes down at halftime and says, you guys want to come with me up to the box? I'm like, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's not raining and there's food. Okay. You know what more do you want? And so we moved from down there. And so my friend, this is her first NFL game, right? And so we go from there to this box and we go up there and everybody's dressed up. Okay. We get to the box, right? Everybody's like dressed to the nines, you know, you had all these executives and everybody was up there. And we didn't care. We were so excited. We were pulling on the Titans. We're going to win this game. And sure enough, if you remember that game, January 8, 2000, the Titans score with like a minute 32 left. And we're thinking, yeah, this is great. And then Buffalo comes down the field and they kick a field goal. And we're like, oh, 16 seconds left. People are emptying out of the stadium. People are walking down the street. And then what happens? The Music City Miracle, right? I mean, it was happened and we watched it. We were up there, we were watching this play. The Bills kick off. Frank Wycheck gets the ball, he's going this way and he turns, he throws across the field. Kevin Dyson catches it and we're looking down on this and we're looking, there's nobody around. We're like, go, go, you know, and he's running and we're screaming and we're yelling and he scores a touchdown and the stadium erupts. And I look over and our single adult minister had jumped into the arms of the president of Bank of America, right? He's like, all in, right? His eyes were this big and I'm laughing. It was hilarious. And we were walking back down Broadway. We're high-fiving. We just had a great time that day. But you know, as I think about that, there's another game after this, right? And that wasn't really a miracle, you know, because that was a great football play and it was fun. It was exciting. But the greatest miracle of all really took place 2,000 years ago. And it is a miracle that has changed the world. It is a miracle where one third of the world today would profess the name of Jesus because Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. It was Friday. And on Friday, there was no time on the clock. On Friday, it was game over. But that was Friday and today is Easter Sunday morning and Jesus has conquered death and Jesus has made a way for us and Jesus is risen. You know, death, the big bully on the block, right? Death, the one for which everybody who's ever lived has been afraid, afraid of death. And Jesus comes along and he conquers death. He makes a way for us. You know, you can go visit the, the tomb of about every major world leader. But when you go to the tomb of Jesus, He's not there. <laughs> the stone has been rolled away. He's not there because Jesus is alive. And the great part about Easter 
is today, April 5th, 2015, could be the day a miracle happens inside of us. A day where we come alive spiritually, where we experience all that God has for us and the joy and the peace and the purpose that comes with Christ. It's Easter Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. And what it shows us is this. If God can raise a dead Jesus, then God can raise a dead spirit in you. God can raise a dead marriage. God can raise a dead family. God can raise a dead gene. God can raise a dead career because Jesus is alive. And there's nothing that God cannot do. So today is a day of hope and a day of celebration. And I am so glad you're here on Easter Sunday morning. If you have a Bible with you today, I invite you up with me to the Gospel of John. John, New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, we want to give you a Bible today. We've got some Bibles in the back, and then there's an information kiosk out in the gallery. We would love our gift to you today. If you don't have a Bible, just go after the service, grab a Bible. It's yours. Put your name in it, and we just want you to have that. Or uh, maybe you have a mobile device this morning. You can access the scriptures online, follow along with version. But we're going to unpack here John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And, and I'm so excited about today. We'll also put the words on the screen so you can follow along with what God's word says. John chapter 20 says in verse 1, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, so that Sunday morning, right, after Shabbat, the Sabbath, early on the first day of the week, it was still dark, and Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Now, who is Mary Magdalene? Well, Mary Magdalene was a woman that we know from the Gospel of Luke that Jesus cast out seven demons. Now, we don't know what that means. Does that mean that, you know, he healed her physically? Did that mean he healed her emotionally? We don't know what was going on in her life, but we know that she came to Jesus. And when she came to Jesus, she found healing and she found hope. Her life was changed. And she became a follower of Christ. She became one who hung out with the disciples. She was there when Jesus was crucified. She's here at the tomb. What I love about Jesus is he did more for women's rights than any person in history. He really did. I mean, back in this day, women were treated like property. If you were a woman and you didn't have a husband or a father or a son, you had no hope and no help, literally back in this day. And Jesus comes along and says, you are valuable. You are important. You matter. Jesus loves all people. And Mary Magdalene, her life was transformed by Jesus. And so she comes to the tomb in the tomb, it says the stone had been rolled away. Now, we know from the Gospel of Matthew, right, that there was a huge stone that was in front of the tomb, and it was with a Roman seal. Now, the Roman seal meant, basically, if you move this stone, you will die, okay? And the Romans were great at killing people. I mean, that's really their specialty. And so nobody's going to do that. And then there were guards. But when she came, the guards are gone, and the tomb is rolled away. And she's looking at this and trying to figure this out. And then she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Now, who is that? That's John. John, who's writing this gospel, an eyewitness account, right? He's the one, he calls himself the disciple Jesus loved. I love that, don't you? I mean, if you and I just started thinking every day, we wake up and we go, you know what? God loves me. <laughs> you know, I mean, wouldn't that change your day? Wouldn't it give you some purpose and some peace and whatever comes? God loves me. God's for me. You know, and I think John just kind of lived that way. Jesus loved me. And she comes running to them and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. 
I love that John put that in there because, you know, guys, we're competitive, right? And so John just gets a little dig in here at Peter. Hey, Peter, you remember we were both running for the tomb and I dominated you? You know, I got there first. I'm just going to put that down for history, by the way. So he bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went in the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. And the cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Guys, I think this is so powerful. It wasn't that the burial robe or the burial cloth was just, you know, in a wad and thrown onto the bench. And it was like it was folded up. Have you ever been to a nice restaurant, you know, one of those restaurants where they put the napkin in your lap kind of deal, you know? And you have this great meal and it's awesome and then you have dessert and you have to figure out which fork to use and then you get it and you're just like, oh, and you eat it and it's so good. And what do you do when you finish? You take that napkin, don't you? And you just fold it up and you just go, yeah, that was good. And I pictured Jesus, right? He goes to the cross, he's there at the tomb and he arises. I'm gonna fold this up. There you go. It is finished. It is good. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. Notice this. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? Interesting question to ask somebody in a cemetery, isn't it? <laughs> you know, woman, why are you crying? As a pastor, I do a lot of funerals or I'm at a lot of funerals and I shed a lot of tears. People, and we all know, when our loved ones pass on, it's hard, it's difficult. But the way the angels asked, you know, it was like they knew something. Woman, why are you crying? And the Bible says we do not grieve as people who have no hope. We know that even in this life, there is more to come. We know that there is an eternity that waits. And so the angels are like, come on, Mary, hold on, hang in there. They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, why did she not realize it was Jesus? Well, Jesus was in a resurrected body, right? I mean, you guys, we know when we die, our bodies go into a coffin, they go into a tomb, but our spirits go on. Our spirits are eternal. So here's Jesus standing in a resurrected body. And woman, he said, why are you crying? <laughs> Something bigger here. Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. Now, I love this. I love this. Maybe you've read this passage a lot, but just think about this for a moment. When God created the world, what did he create? The first thing he created was a garden, right? The Garden of Eden. And it was beautiful. I mean, it was perfect. You can imagine waterfalls and streams and all of these fruit trees. And, and God creates Adam and Eve and he puts them in this garden. He says, guys, all of this is yours. It's perfect. They got to name the animals. I mean, how cool would that be, you know? And so they're hanging out with all the animals. And I mean, it's just awesome. And he says, you can eat from any tree except this one, right? Because you have a choice. And what did they do? <laughs> they went and took. Not your will, God, my will. How often do we do that? 
And when she looks at Jesus, she thinks he's the gardener. What is Jesus doing? He's making all things new. He's making all things right. He's atoning for our mistakes and our sins. And she thinks he's the gardener and she looks at him and she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary, don't you love it that God knows your name? God knows your name. God calls you by name. Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Isn't that awesome? Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord, exclamation point. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Wow, Easter Sunday morning, coming alive with Christ. You know, Easter is about Jesus coming alive, but Easter is also about us coming alive. It's about God changing us from the inside out. It's about God redeeming and restoring and making things new in our lives. And the hurt and the pain that we bring in and the brokenness that we have today, and yet we find a God who hears and a God who cares. But, but how do we connect with this God, right? I think Easter holds the, the key. But the world would say you connect to God in all kinds of different ways. You know, every civilization that has ever existed in history, if you go back and study history, every civilization has had some form of worship, right? Why? Because we all know that there is a God-shaped hole in all of us. We all know that there is something inside of us that's missing. And we try to fill that God-shaped hole with everything. We try to run after money. We try to run after relationships. We try to run after the things of this world. And we try to get more, bigger cars, bigger houses, more stuff. But it just never seems to satisfy. Why? Because there's a God who's drawing us to himself. So how do we connect with that God? How do we have eternal life? How do we know that one day when we die, we will go to heaven? How do we know that for certainty? Well, the world would say this. The world would say it's by being good, right? If you are good, then God will accept you. But then we have to ask the question, how good is good enough? I mean, how good is good enough? How good do you really have to be? We try though, don't we? Because the system seems fair. I mean, it goes along with what the world would say, right? If you're good in school, you get scholarships. If you're good at work, you get a promotion. If you're really good at work, you get a bonus. So it seems like maybe that's the way God works. Until we come to this and we see people like Mary. <laughs> Mary, who had some issues. I mean, we don't know what they were, but at some point, I mean, she had some issues, right? She was struggling. We see people like Peter. Do you know Peter denied Jesus three times? Three times. I mean, he was with Jesus for three years. And then when it came to the time to be there for Jesus and to stand up for Jesus, he backed away and denied even knowing him. How good is good enough? I mean, Mother Teresa never thought she was good enough. Billy Graham doesn't think he's good enough. But somehow we have that in our mind, right? If my good outweighs my bad, then somehow God's gonna look at me and go, okay, 
Right? You know, you know, you got you got some big mistakes in there, right? But 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 you know what? You've got a lot of good there too. I don't know if you remember this, but from the Music City Miracle when the Titans won that game against the Bills, they went on and they beat the Colts. Then they went on and beat the Jaguars. And that year in 2000, they went to the Super Bowl. And, and I'll never forget this. We were over at a friend's house. We're all watching the game. They're playing the St. Louis Rams. And, and the St. Louis is up seven. And they're going and the Titans are coming down the field about to score. They are on the 10-yard line. We've got one play left. And if we could score a touchdown, right, and get a two-point conversion, we win the Super Bowl. I mean, how great for our city. We were so excited. We're up there, we're cheering. And on the 10-yard line, one play left. And he throw it across the middle. Kevin Dyson catches it, the same guy for the Music City Miracle. And he's about to score. It looks like he's going into the end zone. And then he gets tackled, right? On the one-yard line. He's one yard short. <laughs> That's what the game's called now, one yard short. And what was amazing was the referees didn't come in and go, that was a great play. We're going to give it to you, you know, because that was awesome. You know, you came right down the field. That was amazing. Let's just give it to them, guys. Come on. Let... Didn't happen, did it? If you're one yard short or 10 yards short or 50 yards short, you're still short. None of us are perfect. We try to be good. We want to be good. It's important to be good, but none of us are perfect except Jesus. <laughs> who came and lived 33 sinless years. Well, if it's not just about being good, maybe it's about religion, right? Maybe, maybe it's religion. If I'm just religious enough, then that way I can connect to God. But how religious do you have to be? I grew up going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Anybody else do that, right? I mean, that was, yeah, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But there are monks who live in monasteries. Do you know this, right? They live in monasteries and they get up like at four in the morning and man, they're having church. They have church like almost every hour. How much religion is enough? Do we need to memorize the Bible? I mean, where's the standard here? You look at like the 10 commandments, you know? And the 10 commandments are great. But, but the 10 commandments don't show you how to connect to God. The 10 commandments don't talk anything about eternal life. The 10 commandments tell you how to live and what makes sense in this world, how society should work. But, but how much religion is enough? Again, you look at Mary and Peter and John and you start to see when they would go to the temple to worship God back in their day, they had this huge temple right there in Jerusalem. And in the middle of the temple was the Holy of Holies. And that's where God dwelled, okay? Huge place. And the Holy of Holies was divided from everybody else by a giant veil, a veil that was enormous, huge and thick, and it separated God from everybody. And so if Mary and Peter, they're going to the temple to worship, they would come and Mary could go to the court of women right? Because she was a, a woman. And so you can only get so close to God. Now, now, Peter could come and he could go to the court of men. So he got a little bit closer to God, right? He wasn't as far as the women were, but I mean, he's still pretty far from God. And then the priests could come and they could go into the holy place, but they couldn't go into the holy of holies. Into the holy of holies where God dwelled only one time a year on the day of atonement. Would the high priest come into the holy of holies and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And when he would go in, they would have to tie a rope around his ankle because if he messed up and he didn't do it right and he didn't find favor with God and he was killed in there, nobody could go in and get him. They would have to pull him out. That was religion. And yet so often we think, man, it's about religion. It's about religion. It's about religion. If I'm just at church more, and I'm glad you're at church, but 
But the fact is being at church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in a garage makes you a car, you know? I mean, it's important to be at church, but at some point you become a follower. At some point, there's a change. Martin Luther, Martin Luther was a guy who was a monk, right? And in 1511, Martin Luther went to Rome. And in Rome, Constantine's mom, now Constantine, who was the first Christian emperor of Rome, if you go back and study history, his mom went into Jerusalem and started taking all like the, the cool holy sites out of Jerusalem and taking them to Rome. So that when you go to Rome and you see a lot of things that, that was Constantine's mom who was pulling those out. Well, in 1511, Martin Luther went to Rome and wanted to connect with God. He was a monk and he just thought, you know, I'm going through all this process and all this religion. There's got to be something more. And so he goes to Rome and he goes to the steps that Jesus walked up when he was put on trial and presented to Pilate. And Martin Luther goes to these steps, as many pilgrims had done, and he gets on his hands and his knees and he crawls up the steps and he's kissing each step as he goes and he's saying an Our Father and then he gets to the top step and he stands up. And he says, there's gotta be more. There's, there's gotta be something else. And a few years later, he nailed the 95 Thesis to the Wittenberg door and sparked the Protestant Reformation, right? Saying, it is by grace you are saved, through faith, not by works, lest no man should boast. How good is good enough? How much religion is enough? Now, being good is not bad, or being religion is not bad, but, but there's got to be more. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe it's this, what the world would say, is it's being around Jesus, Right? As long as you're around Jesus, and, and some of us, man, we grew up in a Christian home, and, and maybe your parents are strong believers and went to church, and, or maybe, you know, you've just kind of been around other people who are Christians, and, and maybe it's just being around, around Jesus. But you look at this, and Mary and Peter weren't a part of the crowd. There was something different about the relationship that they had with Jesus. There was something deeper. There was something more personal. You see, everybody in the world today knows about Jesus, right? I mean, even in the Quran, Jesus is mentioned multiple times, talking about a servant of God and a prophet. Gandhi even said, you know, hey, I, I believe in the claims of Jesus. I, I do. I respect Jesus. Everybody in the world respects Jesus, which is so interesting to me. Because Jesus said in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. Now that seems to be pretty polarizing, and yet everybody respects Jesus. There's, there's something about Jesus. But there's something more than just knowing about Jesus. You see, I can say, you know, I, 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 know, I, know, I know Justin Timberlake, right? I can say that, I know Justin Timberlake. I mean, you know, man, you know, he's got great songs, he's hilarious on Jimmy Fallon. I mean, you know, the guy's married, he's about to have a baby. Yeah, I know Justin Timberlake. But it's a whole different ballgame to say, no, 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 no. I really know just the like, I sat down with a guy. We had a conversation. I know his heart. I know what makes him tick. I know his desires. I know what's happened in his life. And there is a difference in your life and in my life when we say, I know about Jesus and I know Jesus. Personal. Intimate. So if it's not just about being good, or it's not just about being religious, or it's not just about being around Jesus, then, then what is it? How do we connect to God? How do we have a personal relationship with him? How do we know for sure that we have eternal life? How? Well, here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. Romans 3, 23. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, if you underline or you're taking notes, underline that word all. What does that mean? 
every one of us. Nobody here today is perfect. That's a newsflash, but it's not really because we all know that, right? But if you're here today and you're looking for the perfect church, this isn't it. Because we've all made mistakes. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all one yard short or 10 yards short or 50 yards short, but we're all short, right? Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. Death. Death being eternal separation from God. You have a holy God and you have sinful man. And there is a separation. That's why the Jews for 1,500 years would do the Passover meal where they would kill a lamb and put the blood on the altar because they knew I sins have to be atoned for and the wages of sin is death. But I love that Romans 6.23 goes on to say, but, isn't that a great word right there? But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The free gift of God, I love that. God's offering a gift. Now, when does a gift become yours? When the person offers it to you or when you accept it? Romans 5.8, Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Now notice that word love, because a lot of people think about God as some ogre up there, you know, and whenever we mess up, God's going, ah, gotcha, you know, and then your car won't start, you know, or you have like, oh man, you know, I mean, sometimes that's people's impression of God, but that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is a God of love and a God of grace. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know what that means? That means we don't have to get cleaned up to come to God. A lot of times we think, well, when I get my marriage fixed, then I'll come to God, right? When, when I get my career thing worked out, then I'll get serious about my faith. You know, when everything in my life is, no, God comes to us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our total depravity, in the midst of our brokenness, God comes to us. And we don't have to get cleaned up and like Mary Magdalene, we just come and God, I need you. I yield my life to you. And Romans 10, nine says, for if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, right? He saw John, he saw and believed. He saw and believed. And I think that's so powerful. It's one thing to be around Jesus, it's another to believe that he is the son of God, that God raised him from the dead. And then Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. You see, Christianity is the most fair of all. Christianity isn't exclusive at all. Christianity is for everyone. It doesn't matter your background. I mean, if you're a Jew, you're a Gentile, you're a Muslim, you're a Hindu, you're, you know, you're a male, you're a female. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Praise be to God for that truth. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And in your life, I wonder, have you been redeemed? Have you been restored? Are you living your life for the glory of God? Because that's where life makes sense. That's where you come alive. That's where I came alive. When I gave my heart and my life to Christ many years ago, and I've never regretted in the slightest, every day I fall more in love with Jesus. Every day I get more excited about what God's doing. I just want to be around him. Because that's where peace and purpose and joy comes from. When you yield your life to him. You know, I, I receive a lot of emails from people about what God's doing in their life. And I love that. I mean, God is at work here at Rolling Hills. I mean, people's lives are being changed and 
in marriages or future marriages, people's lives are being impacted. And I received this email last week from a guy, and he just said about how challenging things were in his life. And then he said, you know, over time, as things started escalating, for some reason, I stopped coming to church altogether. <laughs> Sometimes that's our response, you know. He just said, I stopped coming to church. I completely lost the friendships that I believed I would have my entire life. I made a horrible business decision by going into a partnership that ended up impacting my personal life. I picked up habits which I had never previously had and arrived at a point where I believed that God just didn't have the time for me. Ever been there? I grew up as a competitive individual and I've learned that the most difficult opponent you can sometimes face is yourself. I spent so much time focusing on creating the right business structure that would produce all the results I wanted. What I had forgotten was that God already had the structure laid out and yet I wanted to do it my way. Well, my way wasn't working. Beginning back in December, we started coming to church again and as luck would have it, my wife lost her job. Oddly enough, we didn't panic. We had been through worse. We made preparations and without much effort at all, opportunities started emerging from what seemed to be nowhere. Looking back, it's easy to see that God was there the entire time. It's easy to see now that God was watching me go through everything alone and notice the immense pressure I was putting on my wife and family. As I was sitting in church the Sunday after my wife lost her job, I yielded and just said to God, this is too much and the weight is too heavy. I'm putting everything down and I'll rely on you. Please help. Today is the last week of March. Our faith has never been stronger. Our family, marriage, finances, and business is thriving. So what happened? God loved that I was working so hard and wanted to do the right things. He just didn't want me doing it alone. He wanted me to turn to him when I needed help and comfort. Lesson learned. You know, I think for all of us, God is speaking to us. It's not an accident that you're here today. God has brought us all here to hear from his word and his truth. God is drawing each of us to himself and inviting us into a relationship with him that's deeper and more intimate than we could ever dream or ever imagine. And today we have to realize that, that being good is not good enough. <laughs> Listen, good people do not go to heaven. Hear me say that today. Good people do not go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. It's not enough to be religious. It's just not. The faith comes in believing. When Jesus was crucified, there were two criminals on crosses next to Jesus, Jesus in the middle. And both at the beginning hurled insults at him and then one watched Jesus. And he realized you are the son of God. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will have eternal life. Today becomes that new beginning, today. It's not just knowing about Jesus. It's moving the 16 inches from the head to the heart. It's from good to grace. It's from religion to relationship. It's from about to knowing personally. Where are you today? Do you know this? God knows your name. And God's calling you today. And God's drawing you to him today. He's saying, Steve, Bill, Jennifer, I love 
you. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, right? And he said, it is finished. When he paid the price for our sins, when his body was broken for you and for me, and he died to atone for us. Do you know what happened at the temple? The temple veil was torn in two from top to bottom. Literally torn in two. And from top to bottom, there's nobody who could reach up to the top. And it was so thick anyway. But God just split it open and said, I'm making a way for you. Jew, Gentile, male, female, you made mistakes, you didn't make mistakes, you are important to me. I love you. And God came near. And that's what Easter's all about. Substitutionary atonement, right? Jesus took our place. But the cross wasn't enough. The cross was enough for to atone for our sins, but it wasn't enough for us to have eternal life. Jesus came and then he conquered death. And when he conquered death, he made a way for you and I to experience life eternal. We will see our loved ones again. We will see Jesus face to face. We will spend eternity with God because Jesus is alive. Do you know that truth? Do you live that truth? Do you believe that truth? Inside your worship guide, there's a communication card. I wanna ask everybody to pull this out. This, this is an all skate, right, just for everybody. So if you could pull this out just for a moment. And Pastor Ken had asked you at the beginning to fill one of these out. And, and I wanna encourage you, if you've yet to do that, just take a time to fill that out. But on the back is what I would like to ask you. I'd like today for you just to be honest, you and God. Nobody else, right, just you and God, your relationship with God. It's not about what your parents believe. It's not about where you grew up or it's not about, you know, your friends. It's about you, you and God, your name, your relationship with him. And I wanna ask you just to look on the back where it says A, B, C, or D. Where are you today? Spiritually, would you just take an inventory today? You know, so often we'll take an inventory of how much money we have because we wanna plan for retirement or you know, we wanna buy a house or something like that, but we never really stop and just say, where am I spiritually? And you know what? Eternity goes on a lot longer than this world does. So, so it's really important that we kind of look into this and say, where am I spiritually? Maybe today you just wanna mark A, A. You know, I am accepting Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation today. Maybe today is the day you come alive in Christ. Maybe today is the day that you say, I'm putting a stake in the ground. I'm gonna be a follower of Jesus. My life has been redeemed. My life is restored. I am made new in Christ. And I receive the gift that only God can give. Maybe today you wanna to mark B. I believe Jesus. And I wanna take the next step to be baptized in Christ. I'm ready to be baptized. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward faith. Baptism, you're dying to your old way of life. You're being raised to walk a new life. It's like Michael and Aaron this morning. I'm following Jesus, following Jesus. And what a testimony in their marriage. What a testimony to their children. Or maybe see, I am committed to Jesus as his disciple and I'm living my life for him. Maybe today, you know, and there's so many believers here at Rolling Hills, I mean, and I love what God's doing and growing us as disciples. And maybe you're here, you're just saying, yes, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm committed to Christ. I'm gonna live my life for him. And whatever days I have left on this earth, I wanna make a difference for his glory. Or maybe D, I don't know about Jesus' claims, but I'd like to talk more with someone. This is way too important, way too important just to walk out and go, you know, I've got some questions, but I'm not gonna follow up on that. No, today, 
just say, you know what, I want to talk with somebody. I don't know where you are, but I encourage you. Also below here is a place for prayer requests or praises. Whatever God's doing in your life as a staff, we pray through all the requests that come in. Every Monday morning, we just take the time to pray over. And guys, we've seen God do miracles. I'm telling you, we've seen God heal and redeem and restore. We've seen marriages saved. We've seen lives transformed. We see God do miracles. And that's the great part about Easter, that God can overcome anything in your life. Easter shows us that there is hope, that there is life, that there is peace, that there is joy, because Jesus is alive. Let me pray over us right now. Father, thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. He conquered death. We don't have to be afraid anymore. Father, I pray this morning, God, that you would search our hearts. God, that we would be honest with you. I pray for those here this morning who maybe who've been far from you. And God, today you've brought them here on April 5th, 2015. And today could be a day of salvation. And Father, I pray that they would understand that you're calling their name right now. You're speaking into their heart right now. Father, I pray for those of us who are followers of Jesus that today would be a day of celebration. Today would be a day of worship that we realize that that we can't earn your salvation, Father. But we can live in the grace that we've received. I pray, Father, that you would make us the men and women that you desire that we would be godly in our, in our marriage, that we would love our spouse and our children. God, we would make a difference in the career, that we would achieve all that you have for us, Father. And God, I pray that we would live our lives for you. So today, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for hope. Thank you that joy comes in the morning. And God, we give our lives to you. And it's in the holy, precious, beautiful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen, amen. Wow. In just a moment, our ushers are gonna come and as we pass an offering basket, we'd love to just invite you to place this card in that basket and so we can follow up with you. Ushers, if you'll make your way now. And guys, this is a great opportunity for us to give back. If you're a part of Rolling Hills, then, then we have this incredible privilege to give back to God. And, and God takes what we give and he multiplies it and he uses it to help orphans in Moldova and the, the poorest of the poor in the Amazon and, and, and people right here in our community. And if you're a first time guest, all we ask is that you would give us your communication card and we could follow up with you. We could tell you what God's doing in it through his church. I just love it. I love what God's doing. So this is a chance for us to respond. This is a chance for us to give. Let me pray a short prayer. Father, thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you that Jesus is alive and our lives will never be the same. So Father, as we have a chance to give back, take what is given, bless it and use it. God, you have blessed all of us with salvation, but you have lavished on so much. And God, you've blessed us to be a blessing. So God, we love you and we live our lives for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we give. Amen, amen. We joined Rolling Hills when we moved to Tennessee in 05 because the church was committed to reaching out and discipling people for Christ. We were searching for a new church. We were new to the area and we were just really hungry for some genuine relationships and we walked through the doors and that's what we got. We just feel at home at Rolling Hills. We feel connected. We feel part of a family. 
Well, I love that students can serve here and it's their choice to, they're not forced to. How I serve is I do Move Crew, which is a group of middle schoolers and high schoolers who come and dance during worship and we do motions to the songs for the kids in Main Street. That's really cool to see them grow um, and I don't know, just like a really cool experience to be a part of their journey. So I had been at Rolling Hills for a long time and the Lord led us to plant in South Nashville which was really exciting for me because it's right very, very close to where I live. I started serving at South Nashville um, because in my spiritual life um, there's nothing that helps me feel closer to the Lord than serving. It's definitely all hands on deck. We have sound equipment to put up. We are putting up pipe and drape to turn the gym magically into a place where you are able to worship. My kids love the kids' ministry here, uh, definitely for the playground and what makes it fun and inviting to come to, but I think more than anything it's that when they come, their teachers know them by name and the connections they have with the teachers and leaders here are really genuine and they can tell that and they, that's what brings them back, makes them comfortable. Rolling Hills is special because you have that sense of community. It's like belonging to a family and you're able to take that to other parts of the state or the world. So going on mission trips like the Pastors Conference in the Amazon is a blessing. You have an opportunity to see God operating in the difficult circumstances in which they minister. We uh, live in the Franklin area, so we were looking for some people that we could um, just connect with in the area. So we uh, got online and the website and looked it up and uh, we found a group and got connected and we just really enjoy being with the people and interacting with family to us. We stay in touch with each other, we communicate constantly with text throughout the week, email, we pray for each other, we know what's going on in each other's lives and we do life together. My Rolling Hills is growing. My Rolling Hills is missions. My Rolling Hills is serving. My Rolling Hills is community. My Rolling Hills is family. Uh, Praise God, church. I just love what he's doing here at Rolling Hills. I love being a part with you. I love you and I'm so grateful. There's no place in the world I'd rather be than serving our God together right here for his name and for his glory. Next week, we begin a brand new series called Radical Grace. And it's gonna be a three-week series talking about receive it, live it, share it. And grace will transform the way we live. And so don't miss next Sunday. It's so exciting. Also, I just want to encourage all the men. We have the Men's Leadership Network happens on Thursday mornings, both here and in satellite locations at different businesses around. And God is doing a great work in the men here. So we're going to talk about how to have a healthy work-life balance. Don't miss that Thursday morning. So many great things. Hopefully you've seen the new preschool area, new student area, new children's area. It's awesome. It's God's raising up a generation that's going to love Him and serve Him. And I'm so thankful for what he's doing. Let's stand together. Let me pray a blessing over you. And then our worship team together, we're just going to make a declaration that Jesus is alive. Father, thank you for this morning, for Easter Sunday. Thank you for the transformation that came that changed the world and changed our hearts because Jesus is alive. Send us out as people who are redeemed, people in love with you and in love with those around us and use us, God, for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray, we worship, we celebrate. Amen, amen.
that declaration in your heart and have a great Easter.